Welcome to Mission Uplift. My name is Jen, and whether it's your first visit here or your 16th, I am so grateful you stopped by. I mentioned last week that October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and that our interviews this month are with some wonderful pastors I had the pleasure of knowing. The first interview on uplifting moments was with my father, Steve Roth, and I so enjoyed sharing that conversation with you. Thank you for all of the encouragement. Our second interview this month is on uplifting discipleship with Jerry Wagner. He is the husband of Tamira Wagner, and together they parent four beautiful children. Jerry is the lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. His mission for his generation and the next is to unleash healthy disciple makers in Dallas to reach the world. We had a great talk, and I'm so glad to share it with you today. Check out Uplifting Discipleship. Guys, welcome back to Mission Uplift. I am very excited to introduce you to Pastor Jerry Wagner, who is the pastor of Disciple City Church, and he's also my pastor. Um, (laughs) And I'm thrilled to have him here, and we are talking uplifting discipleship today. So Pastor Jerry, thank you for joining us. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, no, thank you um, so much for having me. But uh, yeah, Jerry Wagner, um, I am the husband of Tamira Wagner, uh, who is my boo, um, who I love. We've been married for uh, 18 years, been together for 21. Uh, She has blessed me with four beautiful children. Um, I have three girls, um, 16, 14, and 13, and one boy who is the youngest, and he is seven um, and my oldest girl is driving now. Wow. Yeah. I don't have to drive no more. So I'm excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> I don't have to drive no more. Hey, babe, go to the store and get this for daddy. Um, and, uh, we reside now here in Dallas, um, Texas. Um, we are originally from Ohio and, um, I do miss the snow just a little bit, but I am, not a Buckeyes fan, but I am a Falcon fan because I play for Bowling Green State University. So ah. that's who I am. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so coming, I know coming from north to Dallas, Texas was quite a transition for me. Oh, oh uh, my goodness. And, and both Pastor Jerry and I are graduates of Dallas Theological Seminary. So we've both experienced the, uh, the shock of of uh, Texas summers that last forever. <laughs> How was that for you, for you and Tamira coming coming to Texas? Well, the first thing I would say is I didn't know black people could get burnt by the sun until I got to Texas. <laughs> you know, I think that was the first thing that um, threw me off that I, uh, I had a burn from the sun. I was like, no, my melanin should protect me. Um, but the transition, I, I think it was it was hard um, because coming from the north, coming from the Midwest, um, you know, the hospitality and the politics and the powers structure is not so in Ohio. And then coming here, having to kind of navigate through uh, power and politics and status and bad drivers. We were like, what on earth is it? Yeah, these these brothers said, I love my Texan brothers and sisters. (laughs) They do not know how to drive. Um, But um, I think the thing that I love most was community. Tamara and I came here by ourselves with no family. 
Um, but here in Texas, we found community um, in Swiss Tower, you know, right. on the, our DTS campus. And um, in those friendships and those families, uh, we still are in contact with this day. So Dallas is home now. And so I, I really enjoy being here. And um, I enjoy being a part of the solution of reconciliation. Amen. Amen. Talk to me a little bit about your own journey and coming to faith and what life was like pre-seminary, pre-Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I did not grow up in the church. Um, I didn't know anything about Jesus or the Bible. And, and when I tell you about my discipleship story, it had come kind of full circle. Uh, but I was always interested in having a normal life because the life I grew up in was violence and alcohol and womanizing. And I just will always at a young age say, this can't be normal. Um, so I was always in search of a normal life. Um, I was a great athlete or at least I would say I was a great athlete, good athlete in Ohio. And um, that seemed to be my ticket, that that's how I was going to get out of Ohio. I was going to play in the NFL, and I was going to use my body to uh, kind of captivate this normal life. And then I broke my arm my junior year in um, high school. And all those teams that were recruiting me, they backed off. And I was like, you know, it, it really just shattered my plan. And so I had to walk on to Bowling Green State University, you know, and, and play there. And if anyone knows about being a walk on, um, you don't have no scholarship. You don't have no guarantee on the team. And you are literally fighting um, um, 50 to 60 players just to get on the roster. And I remember uh, during that time I was playing. I really didn't have no money staying in school. And I prayed this prayer that I don't recommend to anyone, but it was the prayer that I knew. I said to God, I said, Lord, I don't know you and I don't know anything about you, but if you help me, I promise you, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I went into coach's office, told him, hey man, thank you so much for the opportunity, uh, but I can't stay here. He said, don't worry, I'm offering you a scholarship anyway. And I said, what type of God mm -hmm. hears the voice of someone who don't know anything about him and yet is willing to bless him. And so in that moment, I did everything that I could to figure out who on earth was this God who just answered the prayer of a person who don't know anything about him. And so I started, you know, going to church. I started reading the Bible. I would read the Bible every day. Like I, I didn't read through the Bible like three times, but I read the Bible every day. And then I needed some help. And the Lord brought in my life uh, a man by the name of Christopher Hubbard. Um, and he discipled me. And uh, Chris, Chris, he really, uh, he showed me how um, the Bible worked. And I'm going back to this one story. I remember in college, you know, you see those signs, John 3, 16, or mama send me some money. And so I remember asking him one day, I said, Chris, where's John 3, 16? He said, well, it's in the Bible. I said, okay, show me where's John 3, 16. He opened up the Bible and he says, you see this name at the top of the book? He said, that's John. He said, you see this big number? He said, that's the chapter. He said, you see this small number? That's the verse, John 3.16. And you would have thought I was like a kid in a candy store. It blew my mind. And from that day on, he, he taught me the gospel. Um, he was 
always involved in my life. And it was just, it was just amazing. And he was the one who really cultivated me. Last story. Uh, we were getting ready to do a Bible study and, you know, people were coming in the room and one of the girls said to me, she said, Jerry, don't you need to sit here so you could teach the Bible? And I was like, I'm not teaching the Bible because all I knew was like Jesus and God and they got in a fight with one another. Uh, but he, he looked at me with like, I got you moment. And he says, no, you're going to teach the Bible today. And I taught the Bible to 15 students that day. And I had never taught the Bible a day in my life. And um, later on, he told me that the Lord had told him that that's what I would be doing for life. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. <laughs> that wow, was the beginning. that's incredible. And what did life look like after that? Yeah, so it, it was a lot of teaching. So um, one thing that he did with me a lot was uh, he showed me how to live the life of Christ. He did not just teach me. You know, uh, he would tell me what the scripture said, and then he would um, show me. So I used to, we used to go to bars, sharing the gospel. Uh, we used to pray for hours. And when I tell you hours, we used to pray for hours. Now, one of the first disciplines that he taught me uh, outside of the Bible and praying was fasting. We used to fast for weeks. Now, we in college. We used to wow. fast. And so one day, we fasted for Four days, no food, no water. We called it the Isaiah fast, you know. Now that, you know, I got a little more context, but that's what he told me. We're going to do this. And I remember uh, I was so weak and I was so tired um, that we passed out on the steps uh, because we... <laughs> Because we, we didn't have no energy in our bodies, and we have been going all day sharing the gospel and telling uh, people about the truth that we passed out on the step, and we was like, man, we need to get some food in our body. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that was our journey. Um, our journey was, um, you know, um, teaching me how to live out the Christian faith and teaching me how to walk with Jesus. Uh, and that's what my discipleship journey looked like. It was um, not only just sharing the gospel, um, but it was also living out the gospel. I think there are a lot of co college students who may say that they're fasting, but it's really that they're... <laughs> they just they're died. Broke. <laughs> they're broke. <laughs> they don't have money for food. <laughs> that's all it is. And I was there. I, I've been there. They were, they're dieting. <laughs> but that was... That was uh... You know, you chose to fast, and that's right. For college students, that's major. That, is, <laughs> that major. is true. But I love what you said about just how your mentor, who was discipling you, it was the focus on telling and sharing, but also showing. Yep. And I think oftentimes people will think that disciples discipleship is just teaching, and the showing aspect um, is not something that everyone has. And even the fact that you said, hey, I needed help. I was reading the Bible. I read through it, and, but I needed help. And I, I think of a lot of people who maybe know the word discipleship, but don't really know what that all entails. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the passages that come to mind is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and Paul is talking to the church of Thessalonica, and he's talking about how he approached them in sharing the gospel. But it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, which I think I get the model of what it looks like to share the gospel and to share life. And he said in verse 8, he says, So being affectionately desirous of, desirous of you, 
we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Yes. And that's reading that passage and kind of branding that passage on my heart is what I lived through. Um, the sharing of the gospel and then um, the living the gospel out. And I think what we have done in the church, we have turned discipleship into programming as opposed to um, walking with people. And Jesus, he invited these disciples into his life and he showed them like an apprentice would show um, his apprentice um, how to live this thing. And so uh, those who don't give the the life aspect side oftentimes miss out on a great opportunity of really shaping and cultivating and being able to send those brothers and sisters out. And that's why discipleship became people focused for us as opposed to just a program. Yes. Yes. So you had that one day where you taught the Bible unexpectedly to, to 15 students and now, now you're a pastor of a church in Dallas, <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm sure you, you weren't thinking that that day in that, in that room. Uh, <laughs> how in your, so you have this discipleship journey and you're serving the Lord, you're growing in the Lord, you're living in community with people who, who have this heart. When did the decision come for you to go to seminary and to pursue ministry? So... I was in a local church in Toledo, Ohio, uh, and I was being um, shepherded by um, Johnny L. Berenger. And uh, one day, um, and I think every minister or pastor goes through this when they have to tell their pastor, this is what God is calling me to do. And I remember walking into his office and I said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. He was like, okay, tell me. I said, I'll tell you after service. He was like, no, tell me now. I was like, well, just I'll tell you after service. He said, tell me right now. I said, I think I'm called to do what you do. I think I'm called to preach like you. And he said, I already knew it. And so one thing that he did was, once again, sharing, teaching me, and then um, giving me the experience. He says, all right, you're going to preach in the next three weeks. I said, what? I was like, oh, and Jim, when I tell you, I preach for maybe an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> I was going in, man, and you know, you know you preaching when the mothers, uh, the elders of the church are getting involved, and so the elders of the church, you know, the mothers, they would take, and I, it was just, it was just this surreal experience that God would use this this man who came from a violent, broken, drug-infested environment to share his word. And so it was confirmation from a pastor that I was doing life with to God saying, all right, it's time for you to do this. And so I'm shepherding these people, walking alongside these people, doing life with these people. And I just sense that the Lord was, I, I just said to the Lord one day, I said, listen, if you want me to do this, if you want me to shepherd these people, I need some more tools. And so then I read a book called Grace by Lewis Berry Chafer. And I thought this book was the greatest book I've ever read in my life. And so I looked up on the internet for more books to be read by him. And it said he was the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary. In that moment, I applied for DTS. 
Now, I had a job. I had two little kids, two years old and six months, uh, good government um, benefits as a probation officer. But I applied that moment and watch this. They accepted me. Within three months, me and my wife wow. <laughs> moved from Ohio to Dallas Theological Seminary and with two little babies and the rest is history. And oh, by the way, I didn't pay for it. I didn't pay for it. There were men and women who came along, uh, Tamara and I, and said, listen, I believe in what you are doing, and uh, um, here's some money um, that we're willing to pay for it. So I got a scholarship from Dallas Theological Seminary, and then there was this family that came alongside and paid for um, our seminary experience. Those stories never get old. <laughs> <laughs> like it and not only that man you know because you get you, you know during that dts time and you get to a point where you're like man why am i doing this mm -hmm. you know and god will give us just these small physical reminders that you're on the right track yeah. you know one day i went to my mailbox i don't think y'all had mailboxes when mm -hmm. you were there all right we used to have these mailboxes at dts one day i, I went to my mailbox and it was two hundred dollars and ten cent in there you know, because somebody wanted to, uh, you know, bless our family. Um, I was working at a church um, here in Dallas, and I taught a four-year-old the hyperstatic union. That four-year-old went home and taught her two-year-old brother. The mother was walking past the room, heard her teaching him, this <laughs> the dual nature of Jesus, 100% God and 100% man. And then she called her husband and her husband walk in and she's sitting down teaching her, um, teaching her brother. And he's sitting, I guess he's listening, you know, who Jesus Christ is. And so the mother said, who taught you that? And she said, Mr. Jerry, my, uh, my preschool teacher, he taught me that. And man, the next day they came and found me and wanted to know me and was like, how can I help? I was like, man, I need some books this semester, and they, and they paid for my books. Wow. <laughs> Those books are expensive. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But it was all about me just sharing the gospel and cultivating the hearts um, uh, with just people. And this was a four-year-old. You know, but, but you know how it is, man. You're trying to get all of this information out of your head. You don't care who listened, a tree, a four-year-old, um, anyone who was willing to listen to these theological truths. And I taught it to this baby and uh, she taught her brother. That is powerful. That is <laughs> such an amazing story. <laughs> it's amazing that, I mean, that's a whole other episode of just all the testimonies that how God provides during seminary and and shows up and encourages that's you have to come back so we could have a <laughs> <laughs> so true so true now what did discipleship look like for you while you were in seminary i know you mentioned yeah, Swiss, absolutely Swiss tower and community with the people there how how was that for you on in that season yeah so I, I talk about discipleship being sharing the gospel and sharing life but it's not just sharing life individually it's also sharing life in community and so discipleship at DTS um, turned into us um, being invited into a community because we didn't have no family. Like we didn't have anyone there who could watch our kids and, you know, daycare was extremely expensive. And so what we found ourselves doing is doing life with the people who are in Swiss Tower, right? And so one of the families that uh, 
we started doing life with, man, we watched each one another's kids. We held one another count accountable. In fact, uh, we held one another accountable so much that we will meet as married couples once a month. We would have dinner together and we would talk about like real hard topics. And I remember, <laughs> I remember Tamara and I remember playing a trick on them because um, there was a lot of tension in their marriage. And one was, you know, passive in leadership. The other one was aggressive in leadership. And so what Tamara and I did, I said, all right, sweetie, I'm going to be aggressive towards you. And then you're going to be passive. And man, we put on this whole show. <laughs> we put on this whole show. And I told Tamara she was fat. And, you know, oh she, 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 she does. She was like, well, I didn't have four babies. I said, but the babies that been here or two babies at the time. I said, but the babies done been here for like three years. So you should have at least lost the weight by then. Like we were just going at one uh. another. And she was like, all right. And so you can see their eyes like, and at that moment it's like, Jerry, I hope you never say anything to me. I said, but isn't that what we say? That to tell your, your spouse the truth is what God has called us to with no grace, wow. with no tenderness. And it was in that moment that I was like, ah, you got us. You got <laughs> wow. us. And so that's what community was like for us or discipleship was like for us was we gained another community uh, and we gained it in, in regards to just different people from different walks of life. And that kind of kind of shaped how I even chose to do church, you know, gospel family mission, yes. you know, and so a family is real huge um, in regards to discipleship because Jen, you may be great, but you only have certain elements of discipleship. And so right. you can give someone the tools and gifts, but you need someone else to help those people along. Exactly. And so community comes along and really cultivates and shape. And so that's what discipleship looked like uh, for Tamara and I during our DTS days. It was in the context of community. That's amazing. We, we uh, Pastor Jerry and I found out uh, uh. during... <laughs> <laughs> during a Zoom prayer meeting at the beginning of the quarantine that we have a mutual friend. Yes. Who I know from back in New York. Shout out to Lenny Prado. Yes. We found out in the middle of our, our Zoom prayer meeting that we have this mutual friend who is in Swiss Tower at the same time. Yes. One of the smartest, humblest um, men I have ever met in my life was Lenny. Um, just gracious, man. Oh, and I don't, I don't know, you know how he would read his books, but he wouldn't open it all away because he didn't want to crease it. <laughs> Do you know that? <laughs> he, he was like, yeah, I want to crease off. I mean, this man was just brilliant, but just wisdom and humility. And he worked at the bookstore and that's where our friendship kind of cultivated. And then out of that in Swiss Towers, but, uh, it was amazing, um, the type of friends that I got a chance to meet um, in Swiss. And a lot of them were international students. Yeah. Like a lot of people that we are in community with was like internationals. Like uh, one of my great friends uh, in India, we lived on the floor floor. We had an awesome relationship. Um, Lenny, um, uh, the Yoon family, um, he was, I believe he was Chinese and his wife was Korean. And so I remember him teaching me both Korean and Chinese one wow. day. Uh, and so uh, the Lord had been setting us up, and I, uh, it's just a good segue. The Lord has been setting us up for like cross-cultural ministry 
um, the moment we got here in Dallas. And so it's just been phenomenal to like really do life and community with people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, who don't walk like you, because that's how we even shape the church. So right. just really excited about that. Yes. My, my first job on campus was working in the, the international office at DTS. It was such a gift to come into community with people from all over the world that we would probably never know if it wasn't for Jesus yep. and coming to yep. seminary and being able to, to learn and listen and, and come together. I think that was, that was one of the greatest gifts. I think that first year that, that really shaped my experience, I think in, That's good. in seminary as well. Now, fast forward, you're, you're now graduated or almost graduating before uh, you went into the ministry formally, officially, vocationally. How, yeah. how did that all take place? Yeah, actually, um, I'm, I'm graduated. Um, I need a job, <laughs> you know, because I don't have no job. And um, I, I received an email uh, from a friend um, of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. That was the church that we attended. Uh, and he wanted me to meet pa uh, a brother by the name of Trey Hill. And it all makes sense because uh, his name is going to come up again, who was running an organization in West Dallas called Mercy Street. And it was a mentoring organization. And he sent me an email. He said, Jerry, I heard you graduated. Um, and do you need a job? And man, before he, before the email even got up, I was like, yes, I need a job real bad. <laughs> and so uh, I go down here to West Dallas, had never been there because we were in our DTS bubble. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, you don't need campus. <laughs> we're in our <laughs> DTS bubble. And I go down here, I interview for the position, and they give me this position of being a mentor coordinator because Mercy Street, uh, what their mission was, was to take Christian caring adults and connect them with students in the fourth grade and would ask them to do life with them from the fourth grade all the way until they graduate. And notice this, this thing that keeps happening, yes. sharing the gospel, sharing life sharing the gospel in the context of individuals and sharing the life of the gospel in community. So this is what I'm being shaped by. And so I go down here, the community falls in love with me. And you know, the first thing I taught them, I taught them Hebrew, the language. I was teaching these students Hebrew. And I remember the founder, uh, Trey Hill saying, oh, he ain't gonna make it. He ain't gonna make it. <laughs> and I'm teaching these students Hebrew and Greek and they're down there saying the Shema. Shema oh, Israel, <laughs> and so and and they sitting there like, uh, Mr. Jerry, do it because I wasn't pastor yet. They're like, Mr. Jerry, do it again, do that word. And I used to be like, uh, Israel, Adonai, you know. And they're like, Oh, do it again. And so he he saw me connecting with this community because West Dallas were my people, you know. And he saw me connecting with this community. And about a year into um, serving West Dallas, being in the community, doing life, he said, hey, I want you to plant a church. I'm like, I just got out of seminary. I want to take a nap. I don't want to plant no church. I'm like, I'm tired. I don't even know if I want to read the Bible right now. I'm so tired. Get that. Get that. <laughs> and so one thing that we did because I think the misperception is when you go into um, under-resourced neighborhoods or places you call the hood, you think that there's no healthy churches around there, which is a myth. 
There are healthy churches around there. There are churches who've been doing it for years. Um, I'm loving on these people. And so what I wanted to do is go to one of the prominent churches and see, hey, what do you think about me joining you all's church, being a part of you, you know, uh, what you all are doing here? And I remember the pastor saying, nah, y'all probably need to do your own thing. And I was like, oh man. And so I was like, at least give me your vision. Uh, for West Dallas. And what I learned was the West Dallas that they were reaching was not the West Dallas that was still there mm -hmm. because they were reaching a uh, a people group, predominantly African-American, but the reality was West Dallas was 67% Latino. And so now I'm like, okay, how do I bridge the gap between these communities? That was the one thing. And secondly, how do I build a church for a community so that they don't have to go outside their community to get good teaching? Right. And so when I, uh, me and my wife prayed and we said, all right, the Lord is calling us to plant this church. And so we planted a church for the people of West Dallas to be a bridge between Latinos, Africans, uh, uh, whites, and so that they can have um, this real multi-ethnic uh, experience but being grounded in Jesus. And that's how the kind of the journey of me planting the church uh, began. Trey Hill asking me and me looking at the landscape of the community and saying, all right, we can do this. Did you have a team at that point? Was it, was it you, <laughs> Mira and Trey? <laughs> Man, uh, so before we were called Disciple City Church, we were called Mercy Street. All right, because that what the ministry was called at the time, and so we called it Mercy Street Church. We had, I believe, three families, and we met in the library. And we used to, my wife used to sing hymns at acapella, and I used to preach. <laughs> uh, and so there was no staff, we didn't develop no elders, it was none of that. We took the youth that was there, and we had families that were there, and we started doing church. Now, I don't recommend that in a church planning setting, but we went from, man, we went from like three families to like 30 people probably in like a year and a half, you know, and then it just kept growing. Um, and I think one of the things I, I haven't said about discipleship, the reason why people do program discipleship and not people discipleship is because it's messy and it takes too long. Right. It's messy and it takes too long. Like it takes too long to develop leaders. It takes right. too long to um, develop the type of men and women that you want um, um, to lead in your community. Like all those things take too long. And so uh, the way we start off was, was three families and we would sing a cappella. And um, our first um, employee was Jorge uh, Munoz. Jorge was 19. He was a, a DBU student, and he was our first worship leader. Uh, he, he was Latino, um, and he began to come down there and sing, and I began discipling him. Now he's 25, and, uh, you know, uh, and it took time. So developing our church took a long time because we were developing people. Uh, but we started off with three families, and now we're up to like 200 and. I don't know what it's going to look like when the pandemic is right, over. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like 250, you know, something like that. But uh, but no, we, we just started, man, just pouring it and doing life with people. And, uh, and the church grew from there. 
Um, I think one of the things that I didn't anticipate, though, was that I thought that the church we were building was just for West Dallas. I had no idea that people from the Metroplex would come to our church. People who would come from Atlanta would come to our church. There was a couple who were missionaries in Japan who heard about Mercy Street Church at the time and came to our church. And so there was a lot of uh, word of mouth. There was a lot of uh, life on life, um, um, discipleship. And out of that, people would tell other people about the um, church. And, you know, we didn't have social media. We weren't doing any of those things. People were just telling people about the church. Right before uh, my last year, which I moved. So I, I don't live in West Dallas. I live, um, you know, in a Southern suburb. Right. And, um, you know, was praying actually for a church that was closer to home, you know, just kind of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I just began kind of visiting places and listening on online. And right when I started listening online was when Mercy Street became Disciples City Church. Right, right. And, and that's when the sermon series was on the different virtues of, yeah. of the church. And I thought, oh, I got to go visit the church now. <laughs> it's not in the neighborhood. <laughs> Which, of course, doesn't, doesn't, you know, it's important to be where God wants you. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. And, and now we're all pretty much online, so there's not much of a commute anyway. But I think that one of the things that really drew me to the church was knowing the testimony just through different people who I knew from DTS who would just share bits and pieces kind of in passing that... Uh, so I, I was aware of that and then learning the virtues of the church and, and in that series that really caught my attention uh, because some of the things that are part of discipleship aren't necessarily some of the things that are being preached. Uh, that is true. And, and I appreciate the virtues of DCC and I wonder if you would, you would talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, um, so one of the things that we thought our motto or yeah, our motto is unleashing healthy disciple makers um, now in Dallas to reach the world. And so we had to come to the realization is, okay, what does a healthy disciple maker look like? And, and one of the things that when we sat down and began to think about what that looks like, you know, we came up with what, you know, as those six R's, you know, and what those six R's represent. And so one of the things we knew that a healthy disciple maker would embody was rightly dividing the Bible. You know, uh, like you have to read your Bible. Uh, in fact, uh, the scripture tells us to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ now and forever. Amen. Second Peter chapter two, verse 18, two, verse 18. And so we wanted to start there. We knew reading the Bible would cultivate our love and stir up our affections for Jesus. The second thing is one of the things that I don't think we emphasize in the church is being a responsible sibling. Like you are responsible for one another. You know, you are called to, like we, Jen and I are not just friends. We are siblings. Like, we, like we're going to see one another in eternity. Right. And so we wanted to focus on what does it look like to be a responsible sibling? What does it look like to really be your brother's keeper? you know, to love them, to be in accountability, because those, that was discipleship. And so uh, we took on that. 
And the other one was reproducing followers of Jesus. Remember, we make disciples who make disciples. This is multiplication. This is an addition. You know, like yeah. that four-year-old teaching her brother right. is not only impacting her, but other generations. Like, I, I don't even know how many other people she didn't talk the gospel or the person and work of Jesus Christ to. And so we wanted to make sure that we were reproducing uh, followers of Jesus. The other one is reaching out across cultures. You know, the Bible says, go to all nations or ethnos, go to all different groups of people. Are, are we doing that? You know, Dallas is a very diverse place. You, you don't have to go far to see uh, somebody from a different country or somebody who speak a different language. Uh, and this is what Jesus has um, um, called us to do. And so that was another thing that we wanted to make sure that that was a part of our DNA and our values. The other one I think um, is, is really unique to us. It's probably unique to a lot of churches. And that is righteously pursuing justice. Right now, notice we say righteously pursuing justice because you can pursue justice for your own agenda, for your own movement. But how does God call us to righteously pursue justice? And that was something that you know, living in West Dallas, the West Dallas that I that I learned about, I think in 2011 or 2009, West Dallas was considered one of the poorest cities in the nation. Well, that West Dallas doesn't exist anymore because gentrification has happened. Right. Now families are being pushed out and high rises are being built and taxation on property is going up to the point that I have a home in West Dallas, but I, I have a homestead so that they can only take my taxes up 1% mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in increments, right? And so who is going to be the voice for these brothers and sisters who are here? Who are going to be the bridge for the people who are coming? Who, oh, by the way, they think this is their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Quick story. Um, and this is one of our members, and I love them. Um, they felt some type of way because there was this man who was walking outside of their building. And this man was walking outside of their building. And they was trying to figure out, why is this man walking outside of our, uh, my building? So I said, okay. So I, I took the member. I said, hey, let's take a ride. So we get in the car and I'm driving them around West Dallas, just showing them West Dallas. And I'm like, man, what do you see here? What do you see here? And what do you see here? Like, oh, I see this, I see this. I said, now think about this. That man knows this community. See, this building is new right here, but this community to him is whole. He is not the visitor, you are. Right. You are. So I wanted to make sure that we are the people that God has called to be the voice for the voiceless. Uh, he, we have been called to speak out on behalf of the widows and the fatherless and the oppressed. That's what we have been called to do. And so that was one of the virtues. That I was like, no, we're going to righteously pursue justice and we're going to do it God's way. And then the lastly is regularly giving of our time, talent and treasure. You know, um, like in order for the kingdom of God to expand, uh, our talents are going to have to kind of vote trying up. I like using that word, vote trying up. Our, our treasures are going to have to be shared among one another, which I'm very proud of our people during this pandemic who has really come along so many different families to say, what do you need? How can I help? You know, and, and, and then our time, you know, uh, you can't spend all your time at your job and then when the church asks you to do something oh i'm tired come on man 
And I know why we do it because we see that temporary value of a check or we see that temporary value of building our brand or our career, but we don't see the eternal value of um, expanding the kingdom of God while we are here. So those were our virtues and we uh, we put those things down and it has been a blessing because we can measure are we growing as healthy disciple makers. It has been a real gift to have come. Now I'm still, I'm, I'm a new sibling, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still fairly new to DCC, but I think, you know, I came right right when we were still meeting in person. And so was there for a few months before quarantine. And it was evident to me, even with not knowing many people, um, even from kind of from the outside looking in that these virtues were a reality because when the pandemic came, certain things were already in place True. for DCC as a church. Not that it has been easy, I'm sure. Uh, I, you know, I can't even begin to imagine. <laughs> but I know that, you know, for many places that that don't have these kind of virtues, I imagine it probably has been extremely difficult um, where there hasn't been a sense of community where maybe someone attended a service on a Sunday and then went home and didn't have any connection with, with a life group or uh, with people or, or any of those things. And so I, I see how it's evident how that has been the foundation of DCC, even in this pandemic. I mean, I, I became a member online. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so, man, that, man, this online digital world, man, this, this thing is a beast. It is really challenging us to reimagine the church uh, and not from the standpoint that I think we're going to deviate from uh, historical and biblical church, but from the standpoint of what does it mean to really be the church? Does it mean to have a great Sunday experience or does it mean to love your neighbor and to get to know them, which is one of our vehicles here at Disciple City Church. And those are the things that we are thinking through. We're going to have a house meeting soon, so I'll let it come out. But one of the, one of the points you made about some of the things that we didn't have in place. Well, one of the things I think we didn't have in place is reconciliation. Like, and this is no slight against any other uh, church, because I, I, I know too many great men and women who are doing great work for the kingdom. But when they want to talk to a black man or a Latino man, like they have to go to outside of the church and say, hey, man, I got a friend over here. We don't have to do that. <laughs> All we got to do is look in our congregation. Hey, you know, or our, or our elders, you know, like the multi-ethnic reconciliation that we have in our congregation allows us to live in the tension that America is really facing. Yes. You know, and we get a chance to put on display what it looks like to have that kingdom where different tribes and tongues and nations that we're going to see in heaven. We get a chance to do that on earth. And so that's one of the things that I can't take credit for because I didn't galvanize all these people, uh, but that the Lord has allowed us to experience uh, different people from different walks of life in community together. Yes. Now, you know, it's tension. Politically, it's tension. Uh, preference is tension. But one of the things we say at DT, or not DT, at Disciple City Church is we don't run from tension. We run to it. You know, we're responsible siblings. Go to your siblings. Talk. Why do you think they said that? Why do you think they believe that? You know, and can we still be siblings despite our differences in uh, political affiliations? Because at the end of the day, Christ is our king. Yes. 
you know? And so, yeah, when I think about the pandemic and all the trouble that it has brought, one of the things I think we can celebrate is that we have a community of people from different walks of life who love one another and who is willing to enter into reconciliation. But yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you're right in saying that. And it's not to say that the multi-ethnic church is the solution to racism. That's not what we're communicating, uh, nor are we saying that it's easy. Uh, what we are saying is it's biblical and it's worth fighting for. Absolutely. And I, I'm so grateful, Pastor Jerry, that this is the culture of DCC. I can't imagine not being in a church like ours, especially in a season like this, yeah. uh, where many, like you said, are looking, having to look outside to have this kind of a discussion or even wrestling or even not considering even preaching on some of these things, having these dis discussions. And so as hard as it is uh, and as challenging it as it is in this season, I'm grateful that it's already been a space that's cultivated to have these kind of conversations. Yeah, no, I, I am too. And, and to God be the glory. We already know, unless the Lord builds, he who labors labor in vain. So no way can, um, you know, we have done certain things like we want our leadership to look like our congregation. You know, uh, you cannot have a multi-ethnic church when you don't have the right people at the table. Uh, and not just token people, but people who really have voices. I think that's one of the biggest things in regards to uh, Disciple City Church is just having more women who can speak, you know, uh, and more women who can be at the table. Um, and that's why even when we do podcasts or panels and things of that nature, we like, man, if our sisters are not on those podcasts or uh, or IG Live, IG Live. If, if our sisters aren't on there, man, then we miss a great opportunity of the church flourishing because we haven't heard their voice and we haven't heard their wisdom, you know, and we can't <laughs> uh, flourish the way that the kingdom flourished without them. And so those are the things that I think we're fighting for in this season more and more for uh, sisters like you, sisters like my wife, who really have a voice and can speak truth. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for for all the responsible siblings being <laughs> considered. <laughs> it's, a, it's a gift because that's not, that's not the case everywhere. True. So it's, it's appreciated for sure. for sure. No, you're right. So I love it though. Well, Pastor Jerry, I wondered if you would take a moment to uh, maybe encourage listeners and then pray for people in the area of discipleship where it, the message doesn't change, right? It never right. changes, but the methods sometimes are tweaked in seasons that we find ourselves in where it's challenging. And, you know, pandemic, the systemic racism that has always been there, uh, election time, and there's uh, so much tension. And yet, even like we've had in our recent sermon series, looking at Hebrews that Jesus is greater. Right. And, and having him be the focus while considering all these very important issues, virtues, people, ministries, people. And um, I wonder if you would just encourage people who maybe aren't blessed to be in a, in a setting like this or are, are wanting to grow. Yeah. Uh, here's what I would say. You may not be in a church that has kind of the multi-ethnic culture, but you're, you're definitely in a neighborhood that's like that. You're definitely at your job that's like that. Um, um, the building is not um, in, 
the only place that you can find that type of community. And so what I would encourage brothers and sisters to do is go across to their, their cubicle or go across the street or, um, um, you know, in the boardroom, wherever God has positioned you, there are men and women who are there uh, who want uh, to be encouraged with the good news of the gospel, who have questions about Black Lives Matter or have questions about um, would Jesus be a Republican or Democrat who, who has questions about what if the economy does fall? Like you have the biblical truth to give them the good news of the gospel. You, you don't have to um, um, go across seas to find people from different walks of life. You just need to go across the street sometime. <laughs> you you right. just need to go to the next cubicle. And so what I encourage brothers and sisters uh, who are listening, start your discipleship process with the people that God has brought close to you. That's where you start, you know. Uh, you, you start there, and, and from there, you will begin to see how God is shaping you, um, how God has expanded your understanding of the nation, uh, how you can be sharpened by other brothers and sisters. That's why I would tell them to start. Um, in this pandemic, people are asking questions. You know, In this political climate, people are asking questions, and you have the answer for it. You know, um, Start a prayer group in your neighborhood. You know, uh, One of our uh, members... Um, they live in an apartment complex, and so they made a sheet um, and posted it on their uh, apartment board. They said, "If you need food, if you need clothes, if you need this, if you need, call this number," you know. And one person called, but that one person was a restaurant worker, and they had just been furloughed, and they didn't have groceries, and the husband felt kind of some type of way. Uh, because he like, man, I want to be able to provide for my family. And so what I did, I, I told the uh, member, I said, listen, here's what you do. You tell the husband, hey, man, would you go to the grocery store with me? Pay for the groceries, give him the groceries, and let him go back into his house with the grocery. If, if dignity is getting in his way of providing for his family, then this is a way that you can restore his dignity and still be able to say, hey, bro, would you still have lunch with me? You know what I'm saying? It starts with the people who are close to you. And that's what I would encourage our, our brothers and sisters to do. Start with the neighbors that are close to you. That's good. Well, Pastor Jerry, would you pray however you feel led as we come to a close for all those listening, all walks of life, just for encouragement and to be uplifted, to be an uplifter in this season as, as disciples? Amen. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, Eternal Father, um, we rest in knowing that you are in control. We rest in knowing that you have already had a plan from the beginning, that your son on the cross have accomplished that plan. Uh, when he died, was buried, but on the third day he rose again. And Father, out of that you have made disciples. Disciples who can go from different walks of life to every nation telling brothers and sisters about the good news. And so what I would tell my brothers and sisters, Father, I'm interceding on uh, all of our behalf um, that we will love our neighbors uh, as you have loved us, that we will go across the street, that we will go across the cubicles, that we will um, go in the grocery store and, and meet the needs of our brothers and sisters right where they are, that we will share the gospel and share our very lives with those brothers and sisters that you have entrusted to us. 
And when we do that, I pray that they will ask that all-important question, what must I do to be saved? We love you and we trust you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Jerry, this was such a gift. Thank you for coming on and chatting with us. No, it, it was my joy. I, like I said, I, I think you're a great dynamic teacher. Uh, I think God has so much in store for you. And the moment I heard you uh, uh, speak, I was like, oh, man, I got I to gotta find a way to be involved with whatever that young lady has going on. Uh, and to use her in a way so that uh, you may flourish. And so so I'm just excited about what God has in store for you and what he is doing. And uh, I hope that it is many more of these and even, even a bigger platform um, that you and I can be a part of. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. I'm grateful for your encouragement and I'm grateful to be a part of the DCC family for sure. It's the best way to maybe hear, uh, hear one of your sermons, to to catch up on social media maybe what's the best way yeah i think the best way is through the normal channels um youtube uh, facebook you know all of our sermons are on there uh our website disciplecitychurch.org is a place you can catch up on events and what we are doing uh how we are connecting with the community uh, one of the things i was excited about this past tuesday uh, was our creation matter uh, we, um, Claire Howe and her team planted a uh, local garden in West Dallas. And that's one of the things I'm just so excited about to be able to uh, kind of help with the food desert. And so all that information is on our website, uh, on our uh, Instagram, and we'd love for people to check us out there uh, and uh, come and visit us. And I'll be excited. Yeah, and I'll link all those things um, in the in the show notes for sure. But thank you so much, Pastor Jerry. Appreciate you. Grateful for this time. Well, thank you so much, sis. And you continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples who make disciples. Amen. Thanks. It is a great joy to be a part of Disciple City Church. I am grateful for Jerry and Tamira and the DCC family. It has been a gift to join the church and even in the middle of a pandemic. You know, in churches, we often hear the importance of knowing the word and multiplication and giving, and I'm grateful. And DCC prioritizes those aspects of discipleship, but I'm also grateful that they emphasize the importance of being responsible siblings and reaching out across cultures and righteously pursuing justice. That's part of discipleship too, true discipleship. And like Jerry shared, it's both in the sharing and in the showing. I encourage you to check out Disciple City Church online, including the recent sermon series on Hebrews, as well as the new series on Jonah. And if you go back a little further to the beginning of the summer, check out the Just series as well. If you enjoyed today's interview, you will most definitely be blessed by the messages preached at DCC. I shared last week that my dad's book, Catching the Moments, releases on October 15th. We're doing a giveaway on social media, so head over to Mission Uplift on Facebook and Instagram to be eligible to win a copy. Follow the instructions in the giveaway post. There's a few steps, and we will announce the winner online on Thursday. Either way, you definitely want to get a copy of Catching the Moments, so pick up a copy or two or 12. And while you're checking out the giveaway post, be sure to follow Mission Uplift on social media and subscribe to the podcast. And if you've been encouraged by what's shared here, please take a few moments to leave a review. 
Also, here's some newer news. Mission Uplift is now on Patreon. There's some exciting stuff in the works, and the podcast is actually only the beginning. With your generosity, we can do more to share uplifting messages and to uplift the uplifters, those on the front lines who are leading and loving well. Check out our Patreon page and consider being a Mission Uplift patron. Thanks again for listening today. Be sure to stop by next week for another uplifting interview. See you then.